Welcome to episode 207 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a podcast where four enthusiasts share our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're new to Linux or a guru of sudo, mm -hmm. Destination Linux is the show for you. My name is Michael, and with me today are the pyromaniacs, I mean, um, fireworks aficionados, ringing in the new <laughs> year, Jill, Noah, and Ryan. And this week, we're going to be discussing our New Year's resolutions, but for Linux and open source in 2021. And by resolutions, you know how like most shows do like prediction shows and that sort of stuff, what they think is going to happen. We're going to be doing what we want to happen. And, you know, I think that is going to be a little bit more fun. So that's what we're going to do this, this episode. And we're also going to be heading to Jill's Museum of Computers on a treasure hunt to see her stash of technology. And she's <laughs> going to show us some really cool uh, stuff that she has in her museum. We have so many cool things planned for this episode. And then we're going to, we're going to discuss stuff coming with the new snaps and a new version of Linux Mint that's coming. All of that so much more including our tips and tricks and software picks right now on destination linux So we decided for our first live show to bring back one of the most popular segments we have on the show, and that is Jill's treasure hunt. Yeah. Jill's looked through her <laughs> museum of computers. So Jill, what amazing pieces of hardware do you have for to, for the show today? <laughs> okay, so, you know, three weeks ago on Destination Linux number 204, I showed you my new internet computer Linux-based internet appliance made by Oracle. And so continuing with the topic of the internet appliance computers, which was a fad from the 90s and early 2000s, I'm going to show you my uniquely shaped and iMac-inspired compact iPack. <laughs> Ooh, and I hear this one's kind of heavy. We, yeah. were, we made a joke last time about you holding up a server, and yes. uh, we're getting closer to that. So this one, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it should be heavy, but it actually is. They put lead in it, straight lead. So look at this unique shape. Oh my gosh. That is cool looking. Yeah, it's cool looking. I mean, I see Alienwares today, like their new Auroras or whatever, that look very similar to this back then. Like they're bringing that shape back. Yeah, actually, you're right. So what this computer was about, primarily designed to be a portable desktop and an affordable option for business environments. And uh, this one was released in 1999, but they had several models um, up to two, uh, released up to 2001. And they came with Windows 98 or 2000 pre-installed. I could could not find online what a, the original cost was. <laughs> so I, I I'm if I'm remembering it, somewhere around five four hundred to five hundred dollars. Now, did you so, buy this one during the 90s or yes. did you, you did? Okay, so you were a consumer <laughs> so, of this back when it came out. Interesting. Yeah, and I actually didn't get it. I um didn't I got it secondhand, so I didn't get it full price. <laughs> Smart. So I, yeah. But um, they were, you know, inexpensive little computers, you know, for the business se sector. And like I said, they came in two different models. The legacy free one, which had five USB uh, ports. And this is actually the legacy model because it comes with parallel, serial and PS2 ports on the Look back. That. But has two USB ports on the front. Very and nice. You know, it it was, uh, they had two different, uh, it ran two different processors. This one is the um, Intel Pentium 3, 500 megahertz, but they also made Enceleron ones. So this was the more powerful one. <laughs> you know, this one actually 
um, only has 192 megs of RAM in it. And I keep, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I can upgrade it, but it was kind of fun back in the day just to see what, you know, Linux live CDs would run on it with only 192 megs of RAM. <laughs> that was my challenge. Nice. So puppy Linux, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Puppy tiny core. That's about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the unique things about this little computer is here on, uh, I, I don't know if you can, it would be on, <laughs> I can't even see it in here, but there's, it's, it has a slim uh, CD-ROM right there it's hard to oh, see wow look how they built that in that's fascinating yes. so they so, built it into kind of that extra base portion yes yeah i didn't and, even see that really until you pointed I know. it out <laughs> yeah so for those who are just listening to the podcast mm. it's basically a really slim computer that's sitting down in I, I don't know like an encasement like you would use to keep it off the ground and in yes. that encasements where they've stuck the cd-rom portion and, of it which is fascinating and yeah, so exactly. And it, so it's side loading. And, um, but the unique thing about this computer, it has a hot, um, hot, what was called a hot swappable multi-bay, like a lot of laptops did. But this one, um, you could either put a CD-ROM in, an LS super disk drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was the only way you could get a floppy drive installed into it is if you put the uh, LS super disk drive um, attachment in. Um, is of course CD rewritable or DVD ROM drive, and they were all uh, you could all hot swap them out with your Compaq Armada line of uh, laptops. So very nice. So that's what, today, what do you have running on that? Okay, <laughs> yay! So I have. <laughs> so I, of course, I, yes. This was one of the uh, early uh, Debian and Canopics-based live CDs called Morphix. And this is the light version with XFCE4. And uh, so I have it actually dual booting the Debian-based uh, Morphix as well as Arch Linux. Nice. And, <laughs> and Arch Linux, I installed it when I actually debuted in 2002. And this was the, the test machine for Arch Linux. <laughs> Now, this is impossible because everyone says Arch isn't stable. So how could that be on that machine for so many years? You must have oh. to re-image it every week, right? <laughs> no, it's an old. I still have the old. Shocking. So I mean, I you can't of, do it yes. now because it doesn't well, have Just go ahead and plug it in bit, and turn but... it on. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it updates. <laughs> well, this Crickets. one, um, like Ryan was saying, the I, I just ran actually Puppy Linux on it because I did some nice. show notes on here. <laughs> Oh, nice. I love that you nice. use your museum pieces. <laughs> it's not just something that sits there and gets no use, but you actually plug these in. You use them for productivity, which to me makes it that much more awesome yeah. to see these pieces because you're not just like, oh, look, I got this thing and I never plug it in and it's turning yellow and basically <laughs> dying out, but you use them. It's pretty yeah. cool. They're still useful today. It, yes, definitely. And, you know, I, I still like uh, trying to test the performance I can get out of these old computers, you know, with the latest Linux distros, it gets some uh, pretty fast speeds now. And of course, with our really nice Mesa drivers under Linux, it, it actually does improve the the support of these old machines and the speed of the video. 
I would love to see Jill do a whole channel where she just benchmarks old machines like with 3D benchmark. You know, like show showing the uh, how fast these machines are going at what the uh, 512 megabytes Nico's saying it was upgradable to. So. Yes, yeah. exactly. And in fact, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to do that in this machine and then I could get more uh, live CDs booting. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the RAM wouldn't be very costly for that, so. No, no, not at all. In yeah. fact, I have uh, lots of uh, so dims and dims. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to keep it original. <laughs> I like it, and and I do. You know, I often will upgrade my computers just within the ecosystem that they are. You know, the highest they can be upgraded to, and then there's sometimes I, I just like to keep them original. And this one, I'm I'm definitely keeping it original. Very nice. And, well, it says the list price was one ninety nine after a four hundred dollar mail in rebate and yeah. a three year MSN subscription at twenty one ninety five. Somebody found Nico found in PC Magazine review from two thousand. Yeah, really interesting. So this this really hurt when we were growing up in business. People started giving away computers for subscriptions. This really hurt me and my dad's business because we weren't giving yeah. away computers with the subscriptions. Like open a new a bank account up. and get a new computer. We're like, really? Seriously? We're trying to yeah. run a business here. <clears throat> yeah. And the other thing, um, a little correction is these were marketed as a desktops as well as internet appliances. They also made internet appliances and those were the ones that were a dollar and a dollar 99 199 that article was actually for the other appliances not this particular one gotcha um um so yeah because i was i was trying to to find the price and couldn't find it <laughs> so but i think it was originally around 400 to 500 dollars very cool well thank <laughs> you Nico, <Jill>. thank you <laughs> thank you for taking us through your museum and showing us another treasure of yours and yay also, thanks for keeping those alive. I think it's awesome to see how far we've come from machines. When you look at the fact that they were running on 192 megabytes, it's quite amazing. And now I look at a laptop with four gigabytes of RAM and go, that's too slow. No yeah. way I run anything with that. <laughs> so that is an introduction to my compact iPack desktop personal computer from 1999 from Very my cool. very large computer museum. <laughs> Love it. Very cool. Nice. This week, we received an email from Matt, and Matt writes in to say, Greetings, ladies and gents of Destination Linux. Here's something that really bothered me lately about the Linux desktop. For the record, I currently use Fedora Workstation with GNOME. One thing I really love about Fedora Workstation is that GNOME software, the default GNOME GUI-based package manager, handles system updates as well as package kit instead of directly with DNF. It pre-downloads the update, waits until you reboot, then package kit applies the update. At the next reboot, in a non-live environment before rebooting, you back to your normal environment. Doing it this way forces the system to reboot whenever a major system component needs to be updating, such as the kernel, GTK libraries, Mesa libraries, etc., and thus prevents a system crashes at the cost of more frequent reboots. To me, this is a no-brainer for making the Linux desktop a world-class desktop experience, one of the reasons that I continually love Fedora. My question is this. Why is PackageKit not the preferred way to update across the Linux ecosystem? I've seen many, many other distributions crash and burn because of in-place upgrades that are not safe. I've seen it in Arch, Debian, Ubuntu, Pop! OS, Elementary, even Fedora when just using DNF and not PackageKit. Cheers, Matt. So what are your guys' thoughts on, on PackageKit? Is this something that, that you've played with? Is it something that you say to yourself, yeah, I don't want to be have to reboot my machine. Rebooting my machine causes downtime. I want to be able to apply those updates in real time, and I want those things to live patch. It's so much greater about Linux and Windows, right? 
that's I mean, that's what how, how I felt, uh, Noah, when I first got into Fedora and I okay. saw that it was forcing me to do the reboot when you go through the software manager. I shouldn't say forcing, but if you go through the software manager, it's going to ask you to reboot to apply the updates. And I thought, and then when you apply the update, it goes to the separate screen. It shows updating. And I'm like, this is like Windows. I don't like this at all. Um, and then somebody was explaining like, this gentleman did here where they said, well, you know, a lot of times when you're applying these updates, these live patches, your system gets messed up. Something doesn't work. And I have indeed had that happen, right? Where a browser won't open correctly after an update or some software is not working correctly after I do an update. And sometimes it takes me a couple seconds to go, oh yeah, I just did a major update. Let me reboot. And then it works. So I get why Fedora does it, but it was one of the things that I didn't, wasn't my favorite part. And then someone said, well, if you don't want to do that, just do it through the terminal DNF update and you're done. So, you know, I have both options there. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty interesting. And I, I do think that there's a value in both. Like the not having to reboot is a really nice thing to be able to do mm -hmm. have as, as an option for people. And also when it is needing to be rebooted, it is good. And I think that sure, live patching would be great, but I don't think most desktop users really need to worry about that kind of thing. That's more of like an enterprise server type thing. But uh, for desktop users, if it was more cons uh, like specific about updates, like it would tell you, uh, instead of updating all the time, like I've seen some where they do reboots on pretty much every update and some implementations of a package kit. And then sometimes they just do it when they, when they need to. And that would be much better in most distros. If they, if people implemented package kit for the distros, but also only did the, the reboot when it was absolutely necessary, like a kernel update and not application updates when those are not really necessary at all. More ideal for me. It's just hard to know when you need to update and when you don't, when you have these listings in your your software updates that have shows all these different packages and libraries and you don't know if those are necessarily needing it. Like with the kernel and with the graphics drivers, you know. But with those, you may or may not. And sometimes the implementation of PackageKit doesn't inform you. And I know that there are some scripts that will do an inf like they'll inform you when you need to reboot. If I, I just think that it'd be I the ideal situation for this is to have package kit set up to do the so reboot. Yeah, like a hybrid of only when it's necessary, not every single time, and tell you when it needs to do it rather than just kind of like, you know, saying that you, you instead of like requiring and forcing it to do it on the install of the reboot, telling you that this this is going to need a reboot before you even do the reboot or free to do the update. I think that would be the ideal solution. Yeah, and you know, this actually they they took uh, a lot of the same uh implementation from what what uh Suse Enterprise Linux has been doing. You know, they were they were the kind of the first to do the live patching and I remember seeing demonstrations of it and it was really amazing, you know, quite a few years ago when they would uh, live patch like 128 computers at one time it was pretty amazing. Yeah. So this is it's nice to nice I always liked Fedora because it had this capability in it. <laughs> what really say cool. you Noah? I Personally, I'm a big, big, big fan of apply the software updates. If you need to restart to fix a problem, then we need to restart to fix a problem. But at the end of the day, the idea that a package would get applied and something is going to happen on a reboot probably isn't, there are situations that's going to work. For me, it wouldn't be preferable. I want to be in control of what the machine is doing. I want to be aware of what the machine is doing, and I want to be very intentional about what the machine is doing. And so if I want the machine to update, I want to be prepared for an update. I definitely don't want something sitting in some queue somewhere, and all of a sudden something else goes wrong, and I go to restart the box, and all of a sudden I find out that something is running on a different version or something like that. So I, 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 I struggle a little bit with the idea 
but I can understand, you know, from a desktop user's perspective, we want people don't tend to update their machines unless they're told to, right? And that tends to cause more problems than things being too up to date. Uh, so for the average person on a desktop environment, I think that makes a lot of sense. In servers, no way. So explain that more on the server front, because, you know, we've talked in the past and you were talking about, hey, in a server environment, if I have to reboot it, I'm just going to reimage the whole thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great point. So the in servers, in server land, a couple things. So first of all, we don't do anything with the server that's not intentional, right? We don't guess. We don't say, hey, I just applied those updates. Let's see if that server survives a reboot, right? <laughs> no, not if it's production. Um, we take that to the hotfix environment. We try it there. And then if it works, then we go back up and, and go back up to prod. But but when when you're looking at, at when you're looking at at being intentional about doing those things, um, then you have to start asking yourself: Is is that the way that that business trends are going? And so, where, where you look at what's happening with containers and Kubernetes and Ansible and those kinds of things, it's quickly becoming faster to spin up a new machine to replace a machine that's gone down than it is to try to figure out what's wrong with a machine. And most of you, if you've used Linux for five minutes, have figured this out on your own to a certain extent, right? You reach a point where you're like, would it be longer for me to reinstall my operating system and reset up all my applications or fix this problem? And depending on what the problem is, sometimes one is shorter, sometimes the other is shorter. In server environments, because downtime is so critical, we focus on how do we get servers up and running and doing the proper things. And we don't spend a whole lot of time, at least not in production, on why is this thing not working? Something's not working. Blow it away. Get it back up and running. Figure it out later. Go back into the dev environment. Go back into the hotfix environment. Let's go figure out why that thing crashed. Right now, blow it away. Start back over. And Sorry. larger companies, Google, Amazon, those kinds of places are already doing this, right? So right. it goes down. They don't bother fixing it. It gets reimaged. So you're saying that the new enterprise production style is nuke and pave. Okay, I got it. No, the new enterprise style <laughs> is containers and modularity, and thus the base operating system and any problem that it may have becomes irrelevant. But I think it's really fascinating sure, differentiator here the, when people more talk about Linux versus Windows here. Mm-hmm. If you had to nuke and pave Windows, you're talking with the updates. Hours. Hours, uh, four to six days, hours, maybe, probably depending on depending when on how you get complicated the patch. AD is in that environment in the, in the latest version in Windows, it takes me 10 or Linux, it takes me about 10 minutes. So, a lot mm-hmm. of times when I do run into an issue like a black screen when I'm booting or whatever, I'm like, <laughs> all right, new can pay because it's if I don't have time to go figure out why it is, sometimes I, mm-hmm. I do and I want to spend that time. It's a 10 minute, it's a 10 to 15 minute expenditure of my time, which is going to be far less time than looking up online and finding out why I might have that specific issue. And I think that's a huge difference between Windows and Linux. Huge. Absolutely. We love hearing our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee, sit down at the nearest stool and send an email to mm-hmm. comments at destinationlinux.org. Your comments may just wind up here on the air. A couple of tips for you. Keep it short, keep it concise, keep it to the point and try to make it helpful to other listeners. If you want to join the community discussion just like this one, then become a part of the DLN community forum by visiting dlnform.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. If you're in business, if you're doing development, if you're doing system administration, you have to have a good VPS provider. You just have to because you have to be able to spin up servers on demand. DigitalOcean, they're your partner because they're going to give you support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. You don't have to know what any of that stuff means. You just have to know that you want to use it. And their app platform is going to make it so that you can take code straight from GitHub and go ahead and build it on their app platform. And just as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast, DigitalOcean looks out and 
at the community and says, who are the players in the game? They've identified Destination Linux as a podcast that brings you valuable information. And they know that if when we come out and talk to you about what the power of Linux is going to do, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go want to spin yourself up your own powerful Linux server. And of course, they have world-class SSDs, some of the fastest computers on the internet, and they're all available to you. Uh, starting at just five bucks per server. But it gets even better because as a listener of the Destination Linux show, we're going to give you a $100 credit. So you can go spin up some of those. You can go spin up 20 servers and see how you like them. You can get that code by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, that $100 credit, do.co slash DLN does a couple of things. First, it gets you that $100 credit. You can't visit a URL, get a hundred bucks. Easiest way you can make money all week. Secondly, the when you sign up for when you sign up using that URL, it tells DigitalOcean that you appreciate the work that we do here at Destination Linux. And lastly, you're going to get a Linux server. So that's probably the reason you should do it. No, this is just so cool because I was doing a video on my channel about setting up an Onion website because I want to get mm -hmm. people filling up the Onion website with good, knowledgeable information out there. Absolutely. And so when I was doing this, of course, it would cost you know tons of money to get everybody to say, okay, go out there to a random VPS provider, spin this up, follow along with me. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're going to need to tear it down. You're going to build another one. But now with the $100 credit that you get, which I gave on the channel, everyone was able to follow along. So I was getting so many messages all week like, that was so easy Hold to get a, a web second. server Are you setup. telling me that we've given $200 <laughs> away this week, potentially? $100 I mean, I mean, on your show? $100 on my show, $100 on this show. Whoever has a, needs a new account, we're just giving it away. No, that's how we are. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Yeah, $100 unbelievable. by just going to do.co slash deal and to get crazy. started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. All of the stuff that makes DigitalOcean great, we want you to become a DigitalOcean customer. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of this. Destination Linux. Yay. Absolutely. All right. So in the past, we've done predictions. Horribly, I might add, as the way to bring in right? the new year. No, never. Oh, uh, right. Literally we, nothing. I ever. think we let's be <laughs> let's let's be fair to us. We probably got at least a partial right. So I'm gonna go maybe. You'd really have to be like those predictions you hear about the end of the world, you know, yes. how they say, <laughs> say well, what if you take the end of the world? But there was a tornado uh, somewhere yeah. in Kansas once, so it's close enough. Uh, so this year, I want to do something a little different. Instead of predicting what will or won't happen, I just want to hear from you guys what you want to happen in Linux and open source in 2021. What is important to you that you want to see this year? More like, what is the New Year's resolution for Linux? And so I'm going to start with you, Jill. If you could have mm -hmm. the perfect 2021 for Linux, what does it look like for you? Okay, so even more hardware vendors certifying and pre-installing Linux, such as Razer, Asus, HP, Acer. You know, we already have Lenovo and Dell, and we need the Good other point. major players in into our ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yay. And the other big one for me is being able to go to Linux conventions in real life again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be like great. I know, like the Southern California Linux Expo and the Southeast Linux Fest. I know it's going to happen, but I'm I'm hoping it it happens this year at some point. <laughs> you know how amazing it was. I was thinking when we missed self. I mean, Noah and the team did an amazing job bringing us a digital yeah, virtual self. So. But like like Noah said many times, you know, the half the conference is in the hallways talking to people and interacting exactly. and stuff. And and you did as close as humanly possible on the web. Noah's props for that, but I do I did miss those conversations uh, that we were able to have in those hallways and getting to interact with other Linux enthusiasts and see what they're doing with Linux Live, like the amount of laptops that are just out 
and people going away, building mm-hmm. stuff. And you just stop by and like, what you doing? And, and learn from somebody was just awesome. So I really appreciate you, you bringing that one back. Cause that one really made me think about how awesome self was, you know, in person as well. Yeah. As of right now, self will be in person in 2021. As of yeah. right now. Yeah. Hope it stays <laughs> that way. So Michael, what do you hope happens for Linux and open source in 2021? Well, I have a couple things. Uh, first of all, I, I want to talk about like something that is happening with uh, GNOME. So GNOME 40 has, uh, they're adding touchpad gestures. And I think that is awesome. Yes. Uh, they have they haven't expressed like what level of touchpad gestures they're doing, but they are they have said that they are working on those. And I want all DEs to do that. That would be my mm-hmm. my goal for you know having a better experience with DEs. So, like every DE introduced touchpad gestures because they are fantastic. For if you're not familiar what they are, essentially it's having multi point on your touchpad to be able to do gestures like you could do on a touchscreen and that sort of stuff. Also, well, I just want to first too, do that for a too. second on there because a lot of people talk about when they do shortcuts on their com- their keyboards mm-hmm. how much quicker and faster it is. And until you've actually taken the time to do it, you don't realize that how much quicker and faster it is just to stay on your keyboard and not have to go to your mouse and go to your keyboard. Right. It's the same thing with gesturing. Be able to move across your machine in as few as finger movements as possible mm. is an amazing advantage and something I would love. That, that's such a good one to yeah. see in mm-hmm. Linux. I would love to see that happen because like, here's just a good example of like, you know, it's faster to do shortcuts in some cases, but if you could just put four fingers on your touchpad and swipe, swipe left and right, and you could change your, your different virtual desktop, that is such nice. an easier experience yeah. to do. And I want every DE to implement that. It'd be fantastic. Uh, another thing that I want is that more companies uh, adopt the uh, universal formats like the snaps and the flat packs and that sort of stuff. Uh, that would be uh, fantastic for getting more people on it. And I know that not everybody loves the universal formats. And I know that there are, you know, there are arguments of which one to use and that sort of stuff. Sure. Just in this is a general hope. Uh, like that's and this is all about not necessarily predictions, just what we want. And that's what I want universal formats to be more utilized uh, by various different companies, especially like the big brand name companies, because it's easier for them to do that because these universal formats make it where they don't have to make a new package for every distro. For like every a DaVinci Resolve of, that would work on every Linux distro instead of just yes. randomly. Yes. <laughs> if they made a flat pack or a snap, that would be fantastic. So, you know, yeah. DaVinci, you know, do it, please. Or Black Magic Design. What is it called? Black Magic? Is that every time called? you download yes. DaVinci, it gives you, you know, do you want to leave some feedback? Yes. Create a flat pack. Yes. Create a flat yes, pack. Yes, exactly. Write the same thing. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Just, just, you know, it doesn't even have to be like any particular format for me, but. If you know, if if you if any of these companies do this or just listen to this show, uh, that uh, that's what I want you to do. Like, if you do nothing else, make your software support Linux. Awesome. And then Noah, what is it for you you would like to see for open source and Linux in 2021? Yeah. So I've I've got a couple things. The first thing is I'm really hoping that Rocky Linux becomes the 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 community standard replacement for CentOS. I had an opportunity Ooh, to have really? Gregory on the program. Yeah, on Ask Noah last week, and got got to hear what him and his team are doing. And it, it's super exciting to watch uh, to watch this unfold. As you had a community project, got absorbed by a company, they took it a direction the community didn't like, comes back into the community, starts back up seven days later, things are, are rocking and rolling. I hope once that becomes the case and we're back to where we were prior to this whole stream thing. Then in response to that, Rel looks up and says, 
you know, maybe we should just re-release CentOS 9 and then CentOS 9 will just have an option when you install and you can have, you can click on stream or you can click on CentOS LTS. If you click on CentOS stream, you'll be one version ahead of Red Hat, which is what stream was supposed to be. If you click LTS, you stay on track with Red Hat proper. I'm also hoping that people start to recognize the supreme perfection that is Matrix and that the Federation grows to include uh, everything from uh, work apps, um, which it's really it's I would I would argue that even today it's a better choice than Slack or Discord works better especially for in relation to federation which you can't do in slack um so so i i think it's it's i think it's one out in 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 the workspace i'm hoping that over the next year since we're now we'll be going into the second year out of beta as that happens i'm hoping the federation grows to include apps that have easy to use messengers um that mimic telegram and 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 so on and so forth so people can get connected everybody that has come over to the matrix side doesn't ever want to go back they're like now i get it all my chats all my information comes here in one place and i host that and i own it um or i can just go to matrix.org which is switched over to dendrite now so it's much much faster in 2021 i'm hoping that people start pronouncing gnome correctly gnome is pronounced Gnome. That's why the G is that, No, no, Noah. <laughs> yes, yes, bad yes, Noah. Don't argue. Bad <laughs> Noah. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fight. So okay. uh, That's why when I introduced the Gnome 40 thing, I was like, I'm going to say both of them just to annoy Noah. <laughs> it's Gnome. It's Gnome. <laughs> Get Gnome. I love you. A top Linux mobile operating system with full disk encryption. This is what I'm hoping happens in 2021. I want a mobile Linux operating system with full disk encryption. We are so close with Manjaro ARM. We are so close. It is the grassroots for a perfect mobile operating system are there. Mm. I love Sailfish. I am. I'm. I'm Mm. I love Sailfish. But at the end of the day. They don't. They clearly don't want people in the U.S. to be using it, and there's a, there's a tremendous amount of loopholes that you have to go jump through. And even though I think their UI is probably better than any other mobile UI I've ever used, maybe except for WebOS, the problem is yes. nobody's writing apps like that. And so yeah. you use the Android transition layer and, and all of those things. So what I'm really hoping is that we can really hone a community-based Linux mobile operating system. I kind of feel like that's going to be the Manjaro arm of the or Ubi ports. We'll see who gets there mm-hmm. for, or maybe post-market OS. We'll see. Um, Mm -hmm. But all of them have some major work to go. And so I really hope that happens. And then as an aside from that, as I continue, every time I pull my Pine phone out and I show it to somebody and I go here and they go, I wouldn't want that. I'm an iOS user. I'm an Android user. I'm like, just play with it. Take it out. They look at it for a second. They open it up and they unlock it. They play with it for a second. This is really cool. And then does this actually work? Huh? You can make phone calls, text messages. This actually works. What did you say? <laughs> Where did you say you got this? Oh, it's 200 bucks. $200? Actually, 150 The other 50 bucks was for the dock. Really? I mean, it's just like look of shock. Like I paid $1,000 for my phone and, and here's another one. And it's no, nowhere near the, the same thing as a $1,000 phone. But the fact that this is so accessible for people and anybody can play with it and load whatever they want and, and just dive in yeah. um, is amazing. My wife got addicted for three hours to, to, uh, to 2048, the game that comes with the Pine phone. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm really hoping in 2021, <laughs> That these products start being carried in big box stores. Yes. I'm hoping Best Buy, Walmart, somewhere starts to carry things like the Pinebook Pro. Because I'm telling you, absolutely dollars to donuts guarantee you. If a person walks in, I watched a lady a few years ago walk out of Best Buy with a MacBook Pro. She told the sales guy, yeah, I uh, like to play Farmville on Facebook and I write some emails and I watch YouTube. And she left with a $1,000 MacBook Pro. Now, the Pinebook Pro would have served those needs just as well might have been a little slower 
but she would have owned it and she could have bought five of them for the price that she bought one. But nobody's going to do that. Nobody, I show people, like, where do I order this? Pine, Pine 64. Oh, really? That's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Oh, okay. And then they're interested. I have no idea if they actually order, but you can't impulse buy. And so having that phone sitting in the thing and, and, and sitting next to all the other ones and hey, here's the Pine phone and it's a hundred bucks and here's the Pine book and it's $200 that I'm really hoping to see. I, I like that. I really like that story of the lady coming in and getting a, you know, Pine book because then mm-hmm. she could learn about Linux and security yes. and then delete her Facebook account and never go on it again, which is right. the other part of the story that I would be hoping for. Um, <laughs> of course. So yeah. very similar. You just to, don't like Farmville. No. <laughs> very similar. I, I really want to see a good mid-class sub 100 or mm-hmm. 100,000. That would be, yeah, every laptop, a sub $1,000 <laughs> Linux laptop with a premium screen. I'm so sick mm, and tired. Yes. I, was, I was in Micro Center about, the hey, other hold day. Hold on a second. How about the X1 Carbon? Would you consider that a premium? It's not sub one thousand though. That's a fourteen hundred dollar machine. No, 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 right? no. CDW, my friend. Yeah, it's eight ninety nine, and you can get a ten eighty p screen IPS. Screen. That's the problem. Nineteen twenty by ten eighty. Don't want it. Nineteen twenty really? by ten eighty is the nineties, and we really got to get away from it. And in fact, I was talking to Micro Center employee the other day, and we were going through different laptops that he had, and and it was just fascinating because he felt the same way. He's like, I can't believe we're still selling these nineteen twenty by ten eighty machines around here when Mac's been on 2K for, I don't know, 10 years and mm-hmm. in all of their laptops with the retina screens. And we're, we're still selling $1,000, $1,300, $1,600 laptops with screens with terrible color profiles, 1920 by 1080 and going, well, it's for a developer. Like developers sit in a cave, never want to look <laughs> at entertainment and only want to see a bland screen with no real color reproduction in a terminal. Like these guys look at movies I mean, and do other stuff. I with employ their enough too. developers to say that that's not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> Probably not. Cause these <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, like we're looking at a couple of different things and they're like, does it work on IRC? Like, yeah. So I want right. to see a mid-class Linux laptop come from system 76 Dell Lenovo that sub 1000 dollars right at that Mac target, right? We want to go after them Apple customers at $999. So somewhere around $999. Mm-hmm. Great top firing speakers, aluminum chassis, backlit keyboard, AMD Ryzen CPU, GPU, and a large glass trackpad. Bring it. That would yes. just sell like so crazy. I, I, I gotta pick a fight with you. What why what's wrong You'll with lose. the 1080p screen, especially on a 1301, especially on a 13 inch form factor? <laughs> I know that what's wrong with a 1366 <laughs> by 768 that we had for 15 years. <laughs> That it's is. old. It's outdated. The, it's in the, the it's not even just the screen resolution. It's the color reproduction. The color quality. Yeah. The that color quality <laughs> on all of these screens, including from brands that we talk about on the show and like in a 1920 by 1080 in mm-hmm. general is terrible. <laughs> and even the ones that put a higher quality screen instead of focusing on color reproduction, focus on mm-hmm. hertz. Like, oh, 1920 by 1080, but 144 hertz. Like, or the new no. laptop from Razer that was like 300 hertz that no one 320 can tell. hertz. Nobody cares. No, nobody's gaming. That's if you're doing first, that level that of gaming, not, you're not doing it not, on your laptop. You're not doing it not, on your laptop. I, I 320 hertz on a laptop. You're not gaming at 320 hertz on a laptop. No, no, no pro gamer <laughs> would do that. And so I, that's what I want. Pipewire bring professional audio into the hands of all Linux users. So a lot of people, yes. and last time I mentioned Pipewire, were saying, but Jack, I do all. I do. I use Jack and I do professional audio production in Linux and you're right. You can, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot less accessible unless you're using like Ubuntu studio to your average person and going in and having to install these separate apps and additional applications and tying things together just to make a simple USB interface work properly is not my idea of managing and being the best at audio in Linux 
absolutely 100% has the opportunity to be the best audio environment, period. And Yay. man, there has never been a better time than to do it today. Think about this. Yes. Every, while everyone's freaking out over the amazing M1, uh, <laughs> if you're a production house, you're, you don't know what to do because you sit down and you're like, okay, great. Now I have to wait for all the manufacturers to either re-release their software in ARM, which hopefully they'll do. I suppose they will. Or we keep buying the, the Intel ones, but it's clear Mac is on a new direction. And so a lot of these places are switching over to Windows with Premiere. But that doesn't really work all that well, and we all know why. So there's a, there's a massive void in this space, and we have been skating behind for a long time when it comes to professional audio and video. The nice thing about Linux and the thing that we have going over every other operating system is we, we climb slow, 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 and then we just take off like wildfire. And you watch that happen with OBS. You watch that happen with FFmpeg, and I absolutely believe we're about to see that again. I think that's a good point. And by the way, about the chasing Apple through the M1, I was reading articles all week about how Windows is doing that and they're releasing their new Windows version Arm. Server X, or not Server X, but X, which is basically going to be their operating system that runs on ARM. And no, they didn't use Linux for all those that predicted that Windows was going to release their operating system on open source or Linux uh, yeah. for the desktop. Yeah. I said it was never going to happen. And here you are. They're, they're See, focusing you know, there was one prediction I, I, we got I, I, right. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you that Windows was never going to was was never going to have them. But I honestly thought I was really surprised to see that they weren't going to double down on Azure on ARM and that they were actually like, why do they care what the client runs on? I know. Who cares? Crazy. Who cares? Hold on. I do. Oh, I do want to say like the Pipewire thing is such a good one that I like. I when I saw it on your list, I wanted to steal it. But I didn't because <laughs> yes. uh, the, the pipe wire thing is such a great uh, th I hope that this does become the standard because having professional audio available to everyone to just by just using Linux would be so amazing. Like like you said, Jack is great. It's really cool. You can do all the professional stuff you want to do. But to get started with that is a big task. Uh, it's, uh, you could you could call it a chore even. And Pipewire so far looks like it's it's a much smoother experience. And I, yeah. I I know that Fedora's already doing this, and I want every distro to do it and just all pile I don't on want and to be, it better. I don't want to be an audio engineer. I want to spend thousands of dollars like an audio engineer on audio equipment <laughs> and just have it work. That's, right. that's my goal. I want to pretend um, to be an audio engineer. <laughs> exactly. I want to pretend. <laughs> I want more proprietary software companies moving to open source. Notice I didn't say I want more proprietary software on Linux. I want more proprietary software companies to make the move to open source exactly. and then welcome to I Linux. I agree. And that would be fantastic. Also, more proprietary software on Linux. That's okay, too. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go and put that in there. Enjoy being on the other side of the bridge. Uh, well, that bridge on. is okay. So okay, whatever. I'm, I help building the bridge. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to stand in the middle of the bridge, but I'm going to have one foot on Michael's side and one foot on Ryan's side because here's the thing. You're more of my Microsoft side. gained <laughs> prominence with Office by backwards supporting Lotus one, two, three. In fact, every time in human history, when something, when, when we've gone from one software thing to the next, it's, it goes to the next because they make it super easy. One of the, I mean, and I, there's a number of different examples I could give, but most of them are proprietary software. Uh, so, th but th they, they do that. And, and, Greater. and so I, I just think as we go on, I, just feel like that's something we should keep in mind. Enjoy yeah. Michael's side of the bridge. I, I, my, no, my I'm, side of the bridge has I, I'm building the bridge, and Noah just wants to help build the bridge. That's what we're yes. doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Ryan, well, you're, <laughs> being, you're being standoffish and like, don't come to my side if you don't. Oh, have it's the worse right than that. License. I'm going to kick your all's bridge down. Uh, the <laughs> other thing, the I kind want... of hostility you deal with with these open source guys. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to uphold our foundation of open source privacy. Yes. It, 
security in all projects. Awesome. I don't want to see all of this metadata grabbing crap just being ported as is over into Linux to the point where maybe my operating system itself is not reporting all of my information and sending back through the internet everything I do every five seconds. But because I'm putting all this junk on my system, it doesn't matter because all the apps are doing the same thing. So I want us to remember the foundations of open source and stick to that, that it's about privacy and security. That's what got me into Linux in the first place is somebody who knew nothing about it. I said, this is pretty cool. I'm sick of Microsoft and all these other companies stealing all my data, calling home every five seconds. That's what made me a believer in how I got into it. And I think a lot of people who are now realizing how important privacy and security is, that's why they're going to look at Linux. And if we lose that foundation, well, we're just another operating system. Yeah. In the words of Michael Hayden, we kill people based on metadata. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's oh, a and more great way to end that segment. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, you should care about your privacy. You should care about all that stuff that somebody wants to install on your computer. You should care about where the software license is and how often it's running and what privileges and all that stuff. You should care about that because when they yes. tell you, oh, we don't collect any personal identifiable information, it's all just metadata. That they're just, they're, it's just, they're, they're, they're just renamed. You're not wrong. Collecting the data about you. Welcome back oh. to my side of the bridge. And, okay. and more um, hardware There's companies no submitting to the Linux vendor firmware service. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was just yes. thinking about yes. it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I I do want to just clarify. Even though the the bridge is for making it easier for I already kicked your bridge down. No, for proprietary software to though. be available for Linux users. I'm not advocating for proprietary software as sure, a yeah. concept. I'm just saying that the things that are already proprietary, it's a it's like that, you know, the you make the 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 boiling water, you, you want to make it gradually become boiling. That way it's not as a problem. So you get the proprietary on Linux, then you're like, okay, now he, here's why open source is good. You're already on Linux now. This is another benefit. And that's you're sort weak. Of approach. That's why you'll lose the war. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the, I'm still making the bridge, okay? <laughs> so this episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications tools like a master password using passphrases, fingerprint security, all of this stuff to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can get your, your free account by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. That's right. It's open source software. It also they, they don't even stop there. They also do security audits where they hire third-party firms to actually go audit the code to make sure it is as safe as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But I, th I think you're going to want to check out the premium account because it's actually got a lot of great stuff and it starts at less than $1 per month. That's right, less than $1 per month, you can get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, uh, Vault Health Reports, TOTP, Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer service, service, and much more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But if you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation for a company that understands open source and also appreciates the Destination Linux podcast. So go check out their premium edition as well. That's, after all, it starts at less, less than a dollar per month. I mean, that's just a fantastic deal. Uh, thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. 
So speaking of improvements in Linux for 2021, Snaps have their eyes set on improving their integration with theming, a lot like Flatpaks have done. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome which to we've the club. needed. Yes. <laughs> and amidst, uh, you know, they've done, the developers have done so many improvements to Snap, such as making it faster to a boot and load this year. That, yep. That's been a really, that was a really big deal for me. If you're, your biggest headache with Snaps is the lack of theme integration. Now you can expect this problem to be resolved in 2021. <laughs> and so what's really cool is in a recent blog post by Igor on Ubuntu.com, this issue with theming was addressed directly with the following improvements on the way. Automatic theme integration done by a background service which will then check if the associated theme already exists as a snap, and if not, offer the user the option to install it. That's now, that's brilliant. exactly how <laughs> flat packs work, right? Because yes. they go through and they look for your system theme, and then it sees mm -hmm. if there is a flat pack version of that theme, and if there is, it pulls it in, and your software looks like your desktop theme. So yeah, I think it works just this, the, that exact same way. Yeah, and this is actually all part of the SnapD desktop integration effort, which when it's implemented, the code will provide a user session daemon, which acts as a bridge, not unlike the bridge <laughs> we were talking about earlier nice. with Michael I've already Ryan. kicked it down. <laughs> You're going to kick this one down too? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which acts like the bridge between the user's session and SnapD and, be, and will be used for automatic theme installations among many other things. <laughs> now, there are a lot Yay. of there are a lot of things that I will nitpick going on in a software or in a distro or things, but theming is not one of them, as Michael will tell you. Pretty much whatever's <laughs> default. Like, this has never bothered me about a snap ever. There are so many things that he I... He loves that, the 1995 style of those I snaps. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, does, can I see the text? And is the graphics GUI that I need there for the buttons to press there? And I'm good. But I'm glad this is solved because I know this yes. bothered a lot of people. I just wasn't one of them. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> It did bother me I'm a little bit. With, yeah. I'm happy with the look of app images, and yeah. they can be really clunky and all. I know looking. it must have bothered Rocco though, so he's probably oh, yeah. very happy. Mister One Pixel Off would love. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The 1995 <laughs> style had its own retro style. That's what they were doing it for. For those who didn't get it, that's mm -hmm. why Ryan was such a big fan because he likes that retro appeal. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> but the, it is really good that they're doing this, and I'm glad that they also made it. Uh, they gave some made some documentation to make it easier for people to create snaps four themes and icon themes and stuff like that. So that's fantastic. I'm glad they're doing this. This is it is something that bothered me, and I'm happy to see that they are fixing it. Yes. <laughs> In our gaming section this week, we're going to be talking about a game called Super Liminal. It's up for a Steam Award for the most innovative gameplay, and most importantly, it has native Linux support. Yeah. The mm -hmm. game describes itself like this. Perception is reality. In this mind-bending first-person puzzler, you escape a surreal dream world through solving impossible puzzles using the ambiguity of depth and perspective. With over 4,773 overwhelmingly positive, they have to actually select, you know, based on a certain amount of ratings, it gets them the positive. And I think overwhelmingly is the top, overwhelmingly positive reviews. Yeah. If you're into puzzle games like Portal, which was a huge hit, 
This is what a lot of people are comparing this to. So if you or your kids or family have ever played Portal, it's such a stupid, addictive game. I mean, stupid in the positive, cool sense. Does this have any sort of cultural reference thing about things, food being lies that is going to confuse me? Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's cake is not a lie. What are you talking about, Noah? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> so this game focuses on force perspective and optical illusions. You'll need to change your perspectives and think outside the box. One of my favorite movies in the world's Dead Poet Society. And one of my favorite scenes is when Robin Williams tells the students, stand up on your desk, look at the world in a different, from a different perspective and different view. You're going to have to do that a lot to beat these puzzles in this game, which I think is really cool. So if you have the brain power and dare to look at the world from a different point of view, check this one out. <laughs> while it's still on the Steam Winter Sale. Yeah, absolutely. Aww. When you put this in the notes, and I was like, I haven't heard this before. It's all it's up for Steam Award. I'm going to check it out. I already bought it. It's it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just it's... very cool. Like that. I I as soon as I saw the quick demo of like explaining, like just showing, <laughs> not even just like two puzzles being solved. I was like, uh, I'm in. This is awesome. And I've, I'm already a big fan of it. So I hope it re- wins the Steam. I'm award. surprised people on your side of the bridge would buy that game. I know people on my side of the bridge have a higher IQ. Therefore, what? I'm sure all of them <laughs> oh. buy it. But Jill, what was your thought of the game? <laughs> oh, uh, this has been one of my favorite games of the year. And in fact, this is my favorite genre. I love the first person uh, um, puzzlers, exploration games, this whole genre. And in fact, if you like Superliminal, you will like Cairo and Antichamber, two of my other favorite Ooh, games of additional all time. bonus ads. All right, nice. <laughs> yeah, so it it I I like Michael. I had played it uh, the demo of it and just fell in love with it, and um, I just bought it on the Steam Winter Sale. That's still going on. <laughs> and I've got to mention this because Michael appreciates this doing marketing and stuff. Is that the company name that created this is apparently Pillow Castle? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you gotta love that name. Right? I do Who love that name. Like a good Pillow Castle. <laughs> yeah, I love that name. <laughs> Another thing that I love is the software spotlight we're going to talk about, and that is Digicam. Digicam is a great way to organize, edit your photos, and that sort of stuff. It is just a fantastic piece of software made by the KDE team. Uh, With the holidays wrapping up, you probably have hundreds of photos that you want to organize, edit, and manage amongst all your other photos, and that's where Digicam comes in. Digicam is a professional, open-source photo management tool that's both easy to use and powerful with a bunch of cool features like managed libraries larger than hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands of photos, process file raw files, edit JPEGs, even publish photos to social media, and also so much. Even You can even view and edit the metadata for those images and that sort of stuff, which is really nice. It also has a new beta version that is out that includes performance improvements, uh, face tagging, uh, face detection, face recognition, and all that sort of stuff to make it easier to uh, create that data on your photos so you can basically have it detect people in your photos for you and label them automatically like that. That is such a really cool feature. Now, uh, don't go using this open source, <laughs> privacy-friendly software and face tagging and then uploading it to Facebook. Right. Don't do it. So you, you, you do <laughs> the face you. tagging for your own purpose to be able to find photos of your own family and keep it on your own computer. <laughs> That's right. exactly. So if, yeah. you, if you need to manage some photos, of, like especially with your the holiday photos and that sort of stuff, uh, check out Digicam. It's p- a great piece of software. It absolutely is. I've uh, spent a lot of time with Digicam, and it really is fantastic. Hey, 
our tip of the week this week is we're continuing our exploration of Git. Now, if you've been following along, you can initiate a repository. You can clone a repository. You can even add files to that repository. And you can sign those files and make a connect and make a commit and connect to a remote repository. Now that we've gotten our commit, when we've connected to a remote repository, we need to push the changes that we've made up to that repository. We've made a, a, a commitment and now we need to follow through. So you can do this by just typing git space push. Some common uses of the uh, tack F flag, which will force a git push, uh, which would otherwise be blocked usually because of something like if there's an upstream tracking project, uh, or excuse me, if, if it's blocked because uh, it, it's going to overwrite a commit or something like that. So you'll want to make sure to use it with caution. Now, git push tack U origin and, and then specifying the branch is useful when you want to push to a new branch. This creates an upstream tracking branch with a lasting relationship to your local branch. Git push tack tack all will push all branches. Next week, come back and we will continue our exploration of Git. If any of this sounds unfamiliar or confusing to you, then we invite you to go back and listen to previous weeks where we started from the beginning to teach you how to get started with Git. All right. So a big thank you to each and every one of you by supporting, watching, listening to mm -hmm. Destination Linux. This is our first live episode where everyone can partake in the show live. Well over a hundred of you decided to show up and show your support for this, which means the world to us. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful faces here with us right now and get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings where they get to hang out in a private chat just to us while we're doing the show every single Sunday. Come hang out and talk with the crew. And also they get the, uh, the the benefit of being a part of the patron post show, which happens at the end of every episode. Every week is like a weekly hangout for the patrons, so be sure to do that. And also go to dealinstore.com because you can go there and pick up some awesome DLN swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and we've even got some hats that are coming soon, which I know Ryan is going to be very excited for. And you'll, yes. you'll definitely want to check those out. Go to dealinstore.com to get all the awesome swag. I mean, the only thing I sell, like my fans want, is a hat. Like, I guess that's my thing because I'm a half head. Like I said, <laughs> yeah, that if, I ever, if I ever take off the hat, there's just half a head hat there. Hair? Yeah, there's Ryan no, has there is no hair. hair. Trust me, there's no hair. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> lost that long time ago. For, for reference, I don't even know if I put it in the video. I think I put it. I'm gonna have to find it. But there was this weird uh, outtake that we had a long time ago where uh, we were doing this green screening stuff, and Ryan's like head was cut off. He's like, "No, that's normal." Like, what? <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. anyway, so yeah, go to dealinstore.com to check out all that great stuff and the new hats that are coming. And we have so many incredible shows here on the Destination Linux Network, one of them being the Pseudo Show. We have the Ask Noah Show. We have This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, Game Sphere with Chris Ware. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these wonderful shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and have a happy new year also. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you Yay, next week. We See you next you. week live, in fact. Happy new year. Dang, look at that. <laughs> I love it. Look at you doing the Star Trek reference. <laughs> did you hear did you hear us, Jill? Did you hear us talk about you and hardware addicts? Did you happen to catch the latest episode yet? I I haven't listened to the whole okay, thing good. yet. I Don't. just started. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Don't.
we don't, talk about don't. <laughs> he, he, uh, he doesn't want you to because he basically challenges you to uh like a, com- a p- comparison of who has the best star trek memorabilia yeah. kind of stuff yes. yeah yeah I, I basically decided i'm gonna cheat to win so i don't want you to listen to the episode because i give out the secret of how i'm gonna do that <laughs> yeah. yeah i i've actually i i have a star trek museum as well Honestly, I could fill. I have, I have Star Trek collectibles. <laughs> We're gonna have to do treasure computers. Hunt Star Trek. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I've been collecting it. since I've been five years old. So. Of course, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Is there any hobby you're not into, like no. pet rocks, so that I can have the best pet rock collection? Oh. No, like, but kidding. actually, no. You can see my rock right here. This is the. <laughs> this is actually a. This a is a moon rock. <laughs> You do have a moon rock, don't you, Jill? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> I love pet it. Rock. I couldn't even this win the pet out, rock challenge. This came out in the 70s. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> Unbelievable. I love it. 